Well, tonight we're going to start our series, and uh, Brother Wayne, I don't know if you're recording this or not, but we'll try to put this on the website these next five weeks. We normally don't put our Sunday night sermons on the website, but I'll try to do this, because uh, the title of these messages is The Last Act. The Last Act. We'll be starting a five-week series on the character and the traits of God's last day's church. And what does it take? What will it take to be a part of God's last days, the end time church? And it's here. Amen? And uh, we're going to go through some passages tonight and kind of see what it it does it take and what are the characteristics. God gave me this message several years ago, and I had felt led to give it to our church a year back, uh, and I introduced it. Uh, but then I didn't feel a release to give it all until this last week. And uh, we'll lead up into the week of Pentecost. And our Sunday night Pentecost sermon will we'll kind of conclude these messages. I believe God wants to do a great work in and through our local churches. And He's willing to do anything we'll allow. And if we would come together as a community and our churches in unity. And in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. I believe God will... And wants to move. Uh, And he will just do everything he did in the book of Acts is possible today. I firmly believe that. Anything that is in the word, he can still do today and will do through believers who would let him. Amen? And so let's kind of take a look at this. I'm going to talk about the persecution in Rome. Ancient Rome. We're talking about the book of Acts. And the last chapter of the book of Acts has not been written yet. Acts The book of Acts is an open-ended book, and I believe it's still being written, and then when we get to heaven, we'll have the whole story, from the expansion of the gospel to the very moment Jesus comes and takes us home, and you and I will be in that book. Our story will be written down in universal history, and what will it take for those of us to be in that story? Rome was a great illustration I believe the way the Lord works is the time kind of repeats itself. You know, they always say history repeats itself, but the last days of the early church were truly looked to them as the last days. And what we see back then, I believe we'll see again. And Rome, whether a Roman believed in the gods or not, they continued to sacrifice to them because it was a part of society. So Rome was not a very religious place, but it was traditional. And so a Roman could not believe or they could not believe in the gods, but yet they would still sacrifice to them. And the Roman government, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Roman government didn't have any religious convictions that they were only concerned about civil unrest. They were only concerned about everyone in their society going the same direction and nobody getting out of line. And all religious groups are regulated by the state as a civic group. Everybody had to have a permit to have a church or a guild, or any kind of craftsman group. And they regulated all of these, much like the government does today. Every church has an uh, employer ID number. We have a tax ID number. All these things, you have to be registered. And Rome was so fearful of rebellion by any one of these groups, they were so deeply suspicious by any group that seemed peculiar. What does God say about our people? We are peculiar. Any group that seemed peculiar or didn't fit into the norm of society, that didn't get along with everyone else, 
they were very fearful of. And so any group that met in secret or disrupted social order were banned as revolutionary. How many know we need to be a little bit more revolutionary today in the church? And no Roman law stood against Christianity. You hear about all these persecutions, the persecution of the early church. There was not, we do not have a record of any Roman law that condemned Christianity. It was never a formal edict that said you could not be a Christian. Yet, the Roman government associated Christianity with illegal activities because they did not understand what they did behind closed doors and who they were. They worshipped a crucified criminal. And they would not bow to the emperor's statue, and they would not sacrifice to the other gods. And this made them stand apart. And so those, here's what happened. Basically, those who confessed to being a Christian, they were questioned with a threat of punishment. Those who denied it and were willing to worship the emperor, they were willing to give offerings to the gods, they were pardoned and let loose. But those who did not repent and bow before the emperor's statue and give a sacrifice to the Roman gods were led away to execution. Often in the gladiatorial arena, they would die either by the sword or by animals being ripped apart. And we have this letter from 112 A.D., 112 years after Jesus was born, of a Roman governor named Pliny. And he wrote to the emperor, and he reported almost a total loss of participation in all the temple sacrifices in his uh, he was a governor, and so of his state, his province, he reported, man, all the temples have almost been emptied out. These Christians are taking over our world, and in my area, everyone's converting. What should I do? And I don't, he, there was no law against Christianity, but he knew there was something illegal going on here, and it was affecting the status of their nation, and it could lead to rebellion because he didn't understand who these superficial or these superstitious people were. And so he began to write this, that he would arrest and demand these Christians, worship the emperor, and offer a sacrifice, or they would face persecution. Some that day were martyred for their faith. And he reported after he began persecuting the church that temple sacrifices in his district began to rise again. Now, we know that persecution, even though it led to people dying and it led to people uh, also denying Christ, that it spread Christianity around the known world. Spread it around the known world. And in 300 A.D., Tertullian, he writes that Christianity had permeated from the emperor's palace to every trade, every tent, every race, culture, and creed in the known world. It was just in a few hundred years of Jesus Christ. But one of the things that struck me that reading this letter from this Roman governor is that, yes, it spread Christianity, but the temple sacrifices also started back again. That means to me that some Christians began to deny Christ. In the threat of persecution, there are some Christians who will deny Christ. And over the last 20 years, we have seen a multitude of apocalyptic movies now, youth can attest to this because they're coming out every year. We've seen them uh, from uh, sci-fi horror movies like aliens or zombies or robots or asteroids. We've got disease, the global warming movies, economic collapse movies, all kinds of apocalypse. I mean, it is the thing now for apocalyptic movies. And Hollywood puts it as this distant sci-fi horror film. 
But Jesus in Matthew 24 talks about false prophets and saviors. Tensions and wars and famines and earthquakes, rise of violence and crime, and yet, yes, persecution. He says the world will lack in love, men's hearts will grow faint, many will fall from their faith, even betraying their fellow believers, but the gospel will be preached until the end, and he will come. What will it take for us? I see, do you see trends in that Roman way of thinking? Don't go all out on it. Don't say Christianity is illegal. Just begin to persecute them, even though there's no law against it. That's the way the world works. That's the way the devil works. And so, uh, he, we see here tonight, the final chapter of the book of Acts. What do we have? Do we have what it takes? Is God calling us to be... Who is God calling us to be in these last days? And are you and I willing to be His final chapter, His last act? Think of it as a play. There's a final act. There's a final scene. I believe that scene is being set right now. And are you and I the people who will make it? And are you and I raising, even if it is our children, are we raising our children to be mighty men and women of God who will make it in that last act? And so I'm going to give you five qualities of God's end-time church. I just study through this. The Lord led me in prayer a few years ago. Five qualities that exist. If you've got your notes, you can write this down. I'll give you all five now. And we're going to go through each five this, these next five weeks. Number one is the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of Christ. Number two is holiness. Number three is perseverance. Four is prayerfulness. Don't ask me how to spell those. But perseverance, prayerfulness, last one is love. Talk about no knowledge. Talk about knowledge tonight. The first thing that we have to have is a knowledge of Jesus Christ. It kind of leads into this morning. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, and nobody can snatch them out of my hand. If you are in the hand of Jesus Christ, nobody can take you out of it, but you've got to be in His hand. And so, do we know Him? And do we know that we know Him? And know Him, and Him know us. I can't go even, let's go some deeper. Know, know, know that you know that you know Jesus Christ. Know knowledge. Think about this, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve ate of the tree of what? Good, of knowledge of good and evil. Tree of knowledge. In the last days, there's going to have to be a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ, not of the things of this world. It says that they gained personal knowledge of good and evil, and it changed their relationship with God, Genesis chapter 3. And then what happens is, Romans chapter 1 says that mankind knew God, but they rejected Him by creating idols that they wanted to know. And so God gave them over to a depraved mind and sinful, selfish desires. And then it actually speaks that homosexuality came about as a curse upon mankind because of that. What is the big topic today you see today in the news against Christianity? Now, I have some good friends that are homosexuals. And I'm not preaching against those people. But I'm telling you that the devil has done the same thing from the beginning. And it says that men began to worship idols and God gave them over to a depraved mind. A curse came upon the world early back in the day when men began to make idols. And so in Romans chapter 1, we see that. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, God says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They did not know God. 
They didn't know what he wanted them to do, and they didn't get his prophetic plan. And so they rejected knowledge. And then so the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Luke 1.17, Jesus came to give people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. There's a theme here. There is a theme that we gain knowledge and we lacked knowledge. That doesn't make any sense, does it? We ate of it. It's kind of like this. I, I feel like a uh, good illustration is the Internet. Uh, when we ate of that apple, whatever it was, it could have been a Fig Newton for all I know, but when we ate of something, that fruit, it was as if uh, Pandora's box opened. And because we were not holy like God was holy, the Internet is a great example. You can see some of the best things in the world, cute, cuddly panda bears playing, which a lot of people like to click on all the time, you know, or you can see some of the worst things in the world, which I won't mention. It's all there. But do you have the power to only look at the good things? And mankind, when we opened the box, it was like we could now see good and evil, but because we're not holy, we can't help but see evil and want to go towards evil. There's something in us. And so mankind couldn't handle the knowledge. And so therefore we lacked knowledge. And trying to gain knowledge, we actually lost knowledge. And so there's a rejection of knowledge. And the Bible says that when Jesus came in John chapter 1, that he was in the world... The truth came down to the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. You see this? It's a prophetic plan of God right here. There's been a knowledge problem in the world, and it's only going to get worse in the last days. And so in John chapter 1, we didn't know Jesus. We couldn't even, the world couldn't even comprehend Jesus. And so the world can't receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in John 8, because they do not know him. There's a rejection of knowledge. And Jesus, even at his death, talking about Easter these last few weeks, he says, I testify to the truth, to the knowledge. I testify to the truth of who I am and why I've come. And what does Pilate say? What's truth? Didn't get it. He didn't see. Even Peter said at the threat of persecution in Luke 22, I don't even know him. And there's a theme such a theme. In the last days, there will be such an array of ignorance in the world. Such an array. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 and Colossians 1. Those will be our two passages for tonight. But 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that there will be a last day's ignorance. And it says, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 7 says, They will always be learning and never able to come to the knowledge of of the truth. And this is what I, I get out of this. That in the last days, the last days church, there will be people, and Paul's talking about the church here, there will be people who are always learning but never finding the truth. I think that means that there will be people who are always growing in their degrees. You know, I'm pursuing a degree. Yeah, there are people in college, there are people getting double masters and PhDs and all these things and studying the stars and, and we're going, trying to get to Mars and all these different things. Studying all the geology, man, but they never find the truth. Not only that, they will continue to learn but never know the truth. I think in the last day's church, there will be people who continually come to church 
continually come to Sunday school, continually come to small group, but they'll never get victory over sin because they don't really know Him. They don't come to the truth and have the truth set them free. You, we, there, you, it's an epidemic. It's an epidemic in the church of people who repeatedly come to church and gain knowledge. Knowledge. I know some people who are in rehab today that can quote more of the Bible than I can. You can know and still be ignorant if you don't know the truth. Knowledge. People will keep coming to church, but they'll never get free from sin. Unable to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, it's so simple. It's so simple. But what is the knowledge of God? Three things. Ready? Write these down. Knowledge of God is revelation, relationship, and reverence. This is our sermon for tonight. What is the knowledge of God? The thing the church has to have is the knowledge of God. It is revelation, relationship, and reverence. What does it mean to know God? Hosea 6, chapter 6, or chapter 6, verse 6 says, For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God delights in you knowing Him. God delights in you and I really knowing Him, more than paying your tithes, more than giving up time to come to church. He delights in you knowing Him. And it's revelation, relationship, and reverence. Break this down. Revelation. Revelation. God can only be known through revelation. Science will never find God out there in space. You'll never find God by digging for dinosaurs. You'll never find God by finding Noah's Ark. I know y'all like to look for it on Google Maps. They say that you can try to do things like that. You know, uh, God can only be known through self-revelation. John chapter 1 talks about that Jesus is in the image of God. He's the revelation of God in grace and truth. Jesus is God revealed. He's God incarnate. And so you can know religion, mysticism, philosophy, or science, but you can't find him. He's only known through his word. Jesus is the word made flesh. He is only known through his word. He is Jesus, the revelation, the word, the logos. And look what you're in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 19. Ephesians chapter 1, revelation. We need a revelation of the knowledge of God. I love Paul's... Ephesians and Colossians are very similar books. Paul kind of wrote them at the same time, uh, part of his epistles, and they are very, very similar in their style and almost similar phrasing. And he writes this in Ephesians 1, 17. He says, uh, "...that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ..." The Father of glory may give to you. He's praying for his church in Ephesus, which is one of his favorite churches. He was at for 18 months, and they cried over him when he left. And here's what he prays over them. He says, I pray that the God of Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray a spirit of wisdom over you. I pray a spirit of revelation over you in the knowledge of Christ. He prays for a deeper revelation of who Jesus Christ is. He goes on to say, I pray that you know the height, the depth, the the length, the the breadth, 
of the love of Christ. And look, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory, of the inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards those of us who believe? So I pray you get a revelation of the knowledge of him. Your heart's eyes be enlightened to have a hope of his calling. Know and get revealed what's the riches of his glory and what's the surpassing greatness of his power. Man, he's praying some mighty awesome stuff. Not just some, Lord, now lay me down to sleep prayer. He's praying, I pray you get some power, a revelation of his power. I pray you get a revelation of his glory. I pray you get a revelation for the hope that you can have in him. I pray you get a revelation of the riches that he wants to give you. And that should inspire you to go against anything. Be able to conquer anything. Because if you get a deeper revelation of who Jesus Christ is and what his plans are towards you, and we stop looking at, okay, i got to go to McDonald's and I go to soccer practice, and i got to go to all these things, and then this problem came up in my life, and that problem came up in my life, and then we start so focusing on these petty things, which in the scope of universal history mean nothing. Oh my gosh, they overcharged me on my hamburger. So what? People are dying and going to hell. I mean, you know, so many things we can get upset about and petty over. It doesn't matter. Shouldn't be eating McDonald's anyway. You know, like, <laughs> uh, my wife and I yesterday rated 40 minutes in line just to get a Dairy Queen uh, ice cream. I'll never get that time back, you know? <laughs> but a spirit of revelation, the knowledge of Him, man, His power, His greatness, His hope. What would it look like if we got a deep revelation of Jesus Christ? Man, I would, it's like I'd want to pray more. It's like I would be excited more. It's like I would just go out in my yard and I could feel like he was with me. And uh, when I go through hard times, I could feel his presence and I would be longing to pray and longing to talk to him. And I could look up at the stars and the moon. I could go out and see the clouds that he made and I can think, wow, this is my God. And nothing on this earth really matters, so why don't I take as many people with me as I can? And it gives me perspective. You see, we lose perspective so very easily when our eyes are not on Jesus Christ. So revelation. Number two, relationship. Relationship. You know what relationship means? It means to experience someone. It means to be familiar with. It ultimately means having a relationship with God. To knowledge of God is to have a relationship with Him. See the Garden of Eden. What is a relationship? They knew Him. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. They knew their plan. Man, in the Garden, before all this stuff got chaotic, Adam had a calling and a purpose. And Eve and him were not battling over who's the head of each other. They were united together in purpose, in covenant, in calling. There was no competition. There was no, what does he think of me? Does he love me or not? None of that was there. They were united because they had a calling together in the purpose of God. And they were going ahead. And he said, here's all the things you can do. There's all this freedom. And I've given you all this power and dominion over the whole world. Just don't do this one thing. And so we had authority even over us. And so all this, even though it was in relationship, 
They walked with him. They talked with him. You see, knowing God is not just knowing facts about him. It's knowing him. Knowing God is not just knowing facts about him. It's walking with him. It's experiencing him. Knowing God is to experience him. I had a, I've said this before, but uh, my religious studies de- uh, minor uh, was from a secular university. And I had uh, multiple professors uh, who knew Greek, Aramaic, and, and Mesopotamian hieroglyphics. They didn't know God. They didn't know God. Know the whole Bible. Could, could look at the Bible in Greek and speak it in English. I mean, I don't even know how you could get to that place. I, I just, my mind's not big enough. But knowing God, you will not survive the last days just because you know facts about God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, That I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering. See, Paul was willing to know Him to the degree that it got close to Him, not only in the good times, but in the bad times. Even in the fellowship of His sufferings, may I just know Him. May I know Him in His power, but even in His sufferings. God, I just want to know You. I want to know You. last one is reverence. Revelation, relationship, and reverence. If we have a revelation and a relationship, that should lead us to one thing, worshiping Him in reverence. Reverence is to revere, to be in awe of. And when you get to know God, you get a revelation of God, and then you begin to experience God in relationship, you begin to revere Him. Man, the fear of the Lord is wisdom to forsake evil is true understanding. Job 28, 28. I remember that verse when I was a teenager and I read Proverbs every night. Man, there is something there. There is something there when I begin to not only, uh, when I begin to get a revelation of Jesus and I begin to experience Jesus in a relationship, I begin to be in awe and revere Him. And I don't want to sin anymore because I'm scared of what it will do. Not what God will do to me, but what it will take me from Him. See, the fear of the Lord is not because I think God's going to take a big stick and hit me over the head. It's the fear that I might leave the Lord. It's the fear that, God, I don't want to be without you. I fear losing you. And I fear what sin can do to my life. And God, not only that, I know you are in awe. I'm in awe of you. I know you're in control of my situation. And I, I was reading one of these guys, the early church fathers. He was about to be hit... Uh, Um, I think it was Ignatius, I can't remember. But he was praying for martyrdom. He was saying things like, man, I I can't wait till these animals rip my arms apart kind of stuff. I'm thinking, well, that's kind of weird. But it's kind of one of these things like, I don't care what happens to me on this earth. I'm in awe of God. Do with me what you will. What are you going to do to me? God's in control. And what if I had that idea about my finances or my, my relationships or the things and the time that I have on this earth? What if I walked around in awe of God? And what if I walked into every hospital room? What if I walked into every troubled situation? What if I came into every uh, problem that someone brings into my life or, or every uh, uh, negative thing that I see happening and I just say, God, man, I, I'm in awe of you. God, you're able. 
There's a little song they used to sing when you were a kid. He's able, he's able, I know he's able. You guys sing that here when you were little? Uh, it's in, in awe of God. Knowing God requires an actionable, actionable response, and that's worship. Knowing God requires me to worship him. It requires me to revere him. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says that we know him if we keep his commandments. It's not that if you know God, you want to follow all these rules. It's that if I know God, I'm in awe of him. And I have an actionable response to worship him. And my life becomes worship. A lot of times people get saved and it's all about the do's and don'ts. No, it's about a life of worship. It's about a life of wanting to be near to God. It's like I said this morning, there's no fence around the sheep. There's just the shepherd's voice to keep you close to him. And he's leading you ahead and calling you and saying, come on, I'm leading you to better places. But if you want to wander off, the door's open. Nobody makes you come to church. Nobody makes you pay your tithes. And nobody makes you go home singing hallelujah. And nobody makes you go home and wake up in Monday morning in the joy of the Lord. And nobody makes you read your Bible. And nobody makes you pray. You, can, you don't have to do any of those things. But do you want to? Do we want to worship God? Look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Revere. Revelation, relationship, and reverence. Colossians 1, 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Anybody read this before and ever picked up on this theme of knowledge? Look at this. He just don't stop talking about it. The knowledge of His will, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. If you want to attain steadfastness in your life, if you want to have patience and joyful patience, if you want to be strengthened in the power, if you want to be bearing fruit in every good work, if you want to work worthy in a manner of the Lord in spiritual wisdom and have understanding and never cease praying, you have to walk in increasing knowledge of God. Paul is laying out a foundation here. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. Churches are being broken because people don't know God. Marriages are falling apart because we don't have the knowledge of who God is. Uh, uh, families are being ripped apart by turmoil because there's no knowledge of God. It's a revelation that I have to come to of the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to true life. It's a relationship that I have to have a supernatural experience with God, not just standing up and raising my hands or even coming to an altar weeping, but a true, authentic experience of repentance, of a born-again relationship of the Holy Spirit, that when I go home, the Holy Spirit is still dealing with me. When I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm still walking on cloud nine tomorrow, that I sense God's Spirit each and every day as I even go to Walmart and the post office, that I'm longing to read the Word of God, longing to get up early and pray or stay up late and pray, that I want to fast because I am in awe of a mighty God. Knowledge of Him. Knowledge of Him. There's got to be... Man, we got to be a little bit more Pentecostal. That, that's the simplest way to say it. Can I just sum it all down? Man, Acts chapter 2. Got to have a moving 
freedom of the Holy Spirit in the church today. We've got to get into the power of God because we have a revelation of God. Because we have a revelation of God, a relationship with God, and we revere Him. He prays for His church. Paul, knowing his end would come at some point in the future, no doubt, he prays for both of these churches. And he prays, I pray you increase in the knowledge of God. I thought that was very interesting. In the last day's church, when Rome is persecuting, Paul's going to be beheaded. James has been killed. Stephen's been killed. I pray you increase in the knowledge of God. And what does it mean to grow in the knowledge of God? But in revelation, relationship, and reverence. And he says this, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. I'll close with this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. If you know this, how ought you, how ought you to be? That's basically what Peter says. If we know, if we know, who should you be? If you know God's coming soon, if you and I know that we're the last days, if you and I know the signs of the times are here, and we can still keep looking at it thinking, well, it's going to be a while. That's what we do. Wow, there was a tsunami that took out Japan, tsunami that took out Indonesia, earthquake took out Haiti. Um, can I keep going? Tornadoes, drought, famines, pestilence, plague, um, martyrdom. 127-something young people just died the other day for Jesus Christ. 21 men killed by ISIS. I mean, we can just keep... That's just this year. I mean, let's take the last 100 years, throw in the Holocaust in there. See what I'm saying? 100 years is nothing in the blink of God's eye. If you know this, how ought you to live? 2 Peter 3, 17. You've... Therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But, <laughs> this is another apostle writing here, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now into that day in eternity. Peter died not long after that. <clears throat> How ought you to live? But growing in a revelation of Jesus, but growing in a relationship with Jesus, and growing in reverence for Jesus. Word of God created the world, and the Word of God will destroy the world. The, word, the world don't know that. Just as he's spoken into existence, he'll speak his coming. He'll speak the judgment. It'll all just happen. And everybody thinks Noah's Ark was a legend, that creationism's not possible, but one day God will reveal himself and show this blind world that thinks they know everything there is to know about this universe and show them, here's who I am for real. It says, every knee will bow in that day. And you and I, knowing this, how ought we to live but in the knowledge of God? 
Matthew 22, 29, Jesus would say to the Pharisees, You are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures nor the power of God, because they kept on hearing, but they did not know. But the disciples, before He left this world, it says that He opened their minds to understand, to know the Scriptures. Worship team, if y'all come back. Last days believers will be lovers of the word, haters of hypocrisy. As the world grows in ignorance of the truth, they will follow the spirit of wisdom and a sound mind. And the last days church will have a deep revelation of Jesus Christ. They'll walk in relationship with him and they will revere his word. Revere his word. We want to go into prayer tonight. We've got a few good minutes left. Sunday nights are focused on prayer. And do we know Him? Do we know Him? Do we have a revelation? Do we have an authentic, genuine relationship? And do we have a deep reverence, a worship of God, an awe of God? Jesus. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's let the Holy Spirit just speak. You guys can play whatever y'all want. Jesus. Knowledge of God. I pray, Lord, for this church, Sanctuary Family Worship Center, that in these last days, we would increase in knowing you. Just to know you, O God. To know you, O God. Lord, these apostles, these great men of God, who saw many great and mighty things, who died a martyr's death and the persecution that they saw from Rome. God, there will be more mighty men raised up in these last days, more mighty women raised up in these last days who may give their life, whether it be through martyrdom or maybe it be that they just lay down their own plans and futures and wants and dreams and desires and they lay down that life for a deeper knowledge. Not a head knowledge, but a spirit knowledge. To know You. Not just to hear and never change, but God, a church that You rise up here in Gina, Louisiana that just begins to understand the presence of the Holy Spirit. That begins to be sensitive to the leading, the prompting, the voice of the Holy Spirit who begins to reveal and revere Your Word, that Your Word becomes a lamp unto their feet, a light unto their path. Lord, that they would truly know Your will in these last days. And Father, when we see half-truths, when we see compromises and sin, Lord, in one another, that we speak the truth in love. God, then when we see it in ourselves, that we look to the Word, And we say, God, make me like the Word. Make me like Your Son, Jesus. Search me, know me. Reveal any wicked way in me. Let me not turn to the right or to the left, God, but let me keep on moving forward. And Father, let me not trip over my own two feet. I want to know You. Lord, I want to know You. I want a deep revelation of You. God, I want a deep uh, relationship with You. God, I want us to wake up in the middle of the night, Lord, and You just begin talking to us. 
God, that when we walk down the street, Lord, that at people at Sanctuary Family Worship Center, Lord, and we walk through the park, we're walking to the mailbox, God, we're walking through Walmart, Lord, you just can talk to us at any moment. Such a deep revelation. Father, I pray it takes it to the next level. God, that we've seen what church looks like. We've seen what churchiness looks like. We've seen what other Christians have gotten to this level. And we can put those men and women on a pedestal and say, well, that's real spirituality. But Father, let us go deeper. Let us go higher and say, God, you've got new levels for this last day's church. You've got deeper places to take us, God. Lord, to a deep, solid, fulfilling relationship with the Holy Spirit. People who really obey your word, who really are the definition of a spirit-filled Christian. No more playing games. But God, we just get lost in knowing you. Lost in knowing you. That's what the world really needs, God. We rejected the knowledge of you for trying to open up that tree and see that knowledge of good and evil. And we lost the knowledge of you. And Father, we want to get it back. So, Father, for those of us who are saved, those of us who are spirit-filled, may we go deeper tonight. May we really, really, really know you and walk with you and talk with you. Jesus, would you stand with me tonight? I just want us to go deeper. I don't know where you are and what knowledge you have of God. I'm not talking about how many Bible verses you can memorize. But where do you want to go tonight? How much do you really want to know Him? The door is open. You can know God as much as you want to know Him. As much as we're willing to part with the way of thinking of this world, as much as we're willing to reject the knowledge of this world for the knowledge of Him. I want a revelation of Jesus Christ. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. Such a bigger picture that I can just get in awe. Prophet Isaiah had a vision of heaven. And he just fell to his feet, fell to his knees, and just said, Woe am I, a man of unclean lips. Because he had a revelation of the awesomeness, of the majesty of God. You want a revelation tonight of Jesus Christ? Let's just begin all across this place just to worship Him. You feel like you want to find a place to pray in this altar? This altar is open. You want to find a place to get alone? But I'm going to ask the worship team just to begin to play. And let's just begin to go after God tonight. Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah.